you have a Bible, I want you to turn to two places, Genesis 1 and Mark chapter 1. Um, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And this is, we're in the season of Epiphany, so our colors have changed from white now to green. We're in the season of ordinary time until we get into the season of Lent, which is just over a month away. And this is the, uh, the first full Sunday of, of the Epiphany season, which means we observe, we celebrate, we think once again, reflect again upon the baptism of Jesus. This is something we do every year. And, uh, and chances are some of what you're going to hear me say tonight, if you have a good memory, you've heard me say before, but I think they're so important that they're worth repeating. Uh, so grab your Bibles, Genesis 1, Mark chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. Um, it's been a tough week. Uh, for the folks at Hilltop, the difficulty has been the loss of Chuck, and that surpasses all the national difficulties that we're observing today. But I think for most of us, we would all acknowledge that it's been kind of a tough week seeing what happened on Wednesday, um, and uh, it, it's, uh, it's just a deeply disturbing, uh, disrupting uh, thing to observe. The Capitol building, of course, uh, being uh, ransacked and attacked and, and people dying, including one person who was there, uh, a policeman defending uh, the building. There's a lot of reasons why we're bothered by this. First of all, is the, just the, the basic level of humanity. Um, I think there's something in all of us, and certainly in Christ, there should be something in all of us that recoils when we see violence being done to other people, uh, when we see people being hurt. So that's just the basic level of disturbance. But there's a deeper level of disturbance, and that is kind of the symbolic level, because the Capitol building is, is a real thing, of course. Some of us have been in it. That's where our uh, representatives do business, do their work. So it's a thing, but it's also a symbol. It's a symbol for what our country is or for what our country is supposed to be. Uh, so when it's ravaged, like it was this week, it, it rattles us, perhaps, on multiple levels. And, it's, and, and this has happened in a year when we've been rattled uh, a few times already. And I think in times like this, when we're rattled, maybe we need to return to the things that we know best, the things that we trust the most, uh, the things that are most important about us. And for us as Christians, one of those things that is most important about us is baptism. And I want us to think about that tonight. Because like the Capitol building, baptism is a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. It's a symbol of death and resurrection, cleansing, new creation. But it's also actual water that we get into or that we have poured over our head. And when we do go into the water or have it poured over our heads, something actually happens to us. It's a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. We should probably never say it's just a symbol. It's like saying it's just a metaphor. That's uh, a ridiculous statement. Baptism for Christians is a sacrament, and as a sacrament, it does something. It's important, and I think even uh, fortuitous, if I'm using that word right. Some of you are looking it up right now. Um, but it's important that we reflect every year, I think, at least more than once a year even, on the baptism of Jesus. 
Uh, we do this, like I said, every Epiphany Tide. And it's important because as disturbed and as angry as we may feel about what's going on in the world around us, we need to be reminded that the baptism of Jesus and thus our baptisms is more determinative of who we are than anything else. Our baptisms say more about us than anything else in our lives. It determines who we are more than our political affiliation, more than our family of origin, more, of our, more than our interests or, or our social media profile or our careers, or even our own sense of consciousness. Our baptism in Christ is more important than all those things. And when we get rattled by life, I think it's good for us to go back and review what we know. So let me pause for a minute and pray for us as we continue thinking about this. Oh Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you. Oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When uh, the people of Israel in the Old Testament tell the story of creation, uh, they tell the story of creation different than anyone else. I won't bore you with all the details of how violent and predictable other creation stories were. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Canaanites, they all had their own creation stories. But when the Israelites told the story of creation that we read in Genesis, one thing we see in it that the others largely lack is goodness. Both the goodness of the creation itself and especially the goodness of the Creator. I've made this point before, but the ancient Israelites weren't big fans of water, or at least big bodies of water. They weren't seagoing people. Uh, they don't attempt to conquer the depths. They avoid them. Um, there might be some generational trauma from the whole Noah event, I suppose. Uh, but the depths of the ocean symbolized chaos and evil. Just think about Noah, think about Jonah. Uh, when we think about the ancient Israelites. We don't think, they, they, they weren't people who would watch Jacques Cousteau, uh, if anybody remembers who that is. Um, or they wouldn't be impressed with Aquaman. They're like, this is not, this is not our thing. The, the ancient seas were the seas of chaos and evil. The symbolic power of water as chaotic and evil, however, is turned on its head in the book of Genesis. It's also turned on its head in the Psalms, especially Psalm 29 that we heard read earlier tonight. But Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Tohu vabohu is the Hebrew word for formless and void. The deeps were this chaotic darkness, an evil, if you will. But scripture tells us a wind, or we can also interpret that or translate that as the spirit of God hovered over the waters like a mama bird would. Not hovering to destroy, but to nurture and heal and create. Genesis 1.3 says, just after that, it says, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So God's presence over the dark waters is followed up by the creation of light. 
You see, God's intention to remake the deep, to deal with evil, is present in the first few verses of the Bible. As the Israelites heard it, they recognized that it was different from the other stories that they knew about how life came to be. This creation didn't include blood and gore and war and slavery. And like I mentioned a minute ago, our psalm reading comes into play here too. Psalm 29 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So the flood can remind us of these chaotic depths in Genesis 1. The flood can remind us of the flood in, uh, in Genesis in the story of Noah and the ark. The flood represents chaos in those things that are arrayed against God. And God has overpowered these things and will continue to overpower and overthrow those evil forces that were symbolized by the water, by the deep water. God's reign is conquering, and God's reign will conquer the depths. Which leads us to a story of two birds in the Bible. There's more than two birds in the Bible, but uh, two that we'll think about today. And I shared this a year ago, but I want to share it again because I think it illustrates how Scripture interacts with Scripture, both New Testament and Old Testament. And I hope it deepens our appreciation of what is happening in our baptisms. From our gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 7, it says, John the Baptist proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down, stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So that's the story of bird number one. The dove that descends upon Jesus. Matthew, Mark, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke's way of describing the manner in which the Holy Spirit falls or descends upon Christ like a dove. Jesus comes out of the water, the water that symbolizes death, and God's Spirit lands on him. We see it in Christian art and iconography and even in modern branding, the dove, you know, the Christian dove on bumper stickers and back when bumper stickers were a thing. And then we hear a voice that says, with you I am well pleased. Now, for bird number two, we go back to Genesis chapter one, verse two. And I'm going to read this to you from several different translations, from four different translations, actually, five, five translations. And I'm going to go kind of quick. Uh, but in reading these five different translations, I think you'll hear how Scripture uh, and how uh, different translations illuminate different parts of what we're examining tonight. And I want you to pay attention to the word used for spirit and for what the spirit does over the water. Now, we read the NRSV. It says the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. 
The common English Bible says the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea and God's wind swept over the waters. The ESV, English Standard Version, says it a little bit differently. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we now go from the wind from God. Now it's the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Then the voice translation, which is admittedly a little bit of a paraphrase as well. It says, at first the earth lacked shape and was totally empty and a dark fog draped over the deep while God's spirit wind hovered over the surface of the empty waters. I love how they're like, we're going to put them together and put a hyphen in there and we'll be fine. And then lastly, the message. And I love how he says this. He says, the earth was a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness, and inky blackness. Which inky blackness sounds like, uh, you know, a uh, cockney gangster. Um, I don't know why that came to me. Anyway, an inky blackness. God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. God's spirit brooded like a bird over the watery abyss. In some passages, we read about a wind. This is what it says. But that word for wind is also the word for spirit, as we know. The Holy Spirit is present at the creation and is present at the new creation. He is present brooding over the waters of chaos and disorder. And he is present hovering over, brooding, if you will, over the Son of God who emerges from the water in the Jordan River. So I hope you can hear how the Bible here is singing to each other, how this echo is bouncing back across the centuries. In one, we see the creation of the cosmos, all that exists. And in the other, we see the recreation, the redemption of that same cosmos. It is no coincidence that there are birds at creation and at Jesus' baptism. I think God meant to do that. I think it's part of the beauty of Scripture that God wants us to embrace and engage and enjoy. In the waters of baptism, there is a flood, there is a dove, and there is Jesus, the Word of God. And one other thing that I didn't mention a minute ago, but the voice of God. In Genesis 1, we hear the voice of God saying, after each creative act, and God saw that it was good. God declared it was good. And then, in the story of the dove descending, right after that, we hear a voice that says essentially the same thing. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. In Genesis 1, God is saying creation, the substance of the earth and the universe and the cosmos, is good. The material stuff is good. And when Jesus is incarnated, God is once again declaring creation is good and worthy of redemption in Christ. So think again how, how Scripture sings to Scripture. Before creation, the water was a symbol of chaos, but in Jesus' baptism, he descends into the chaos and baptizes creation with himself. Not only is Jesus baptized, but so is creation. At creation, so before creation, the water was a symbol of chaos. At creation, the spirit hovered over the water like a mama bird. And at Jesus' baptism, the spirit of God descends again as a bird.
After creation was complete, God expressed how pleased he was. It was good. When Jesus was baptized, God again speaks, This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. God created the cosmos, a world that never existed, out of the chaos and the void, the tohu vabohu. And at Jesus' baptism, God brings in a new world, the kingdom of God, where love and forgiveness and restoration prevail over chaos and evil, where grace reigns even over our sin. The story of creation and the story of baptism both remind us that God is overthrowing evil, chaos, unrest, and disorder, and it's an inside job. God is restoring creation from inside. It's happening through Jesus of Nazareth, baptized in the Jordan River, incarnated as we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago in the Christmas story. Now, the United Methodist Church has a, uh, a baptismal covenant that uh, in their more formal baptismal services that they read. And some people like to call it the flood prayer. And I wanna read it to you now because I think it really, it's a beautiful kind of summary of what we've been talking about. This is the flood prayer. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Pour out your Holy Spirit to bless this gift of water and those who receive it, to wash away their sin and to clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in his final victory. Now let me wrap up here by doing a test with us. I'm going to read three phrases to you. Three flooding words. COVID-19. A summer of racial injustice and unrest. And the Capitol building being under siege this week. I suspect as I read them, that glorious, beautiful feeling you had from my preaching may have changed. And please uh, recognize the sarcasm in what I said. Um, but as I read those words, you know, we move from hearing a, a, this, this beautiful flood of prayer that takes the Psalms and Genesis and the Gospels together to hearing three events of the last year or so that are troubling. And maybe we're reminded once again of the chaos and the disturbance. These things are real things, but they're also symbols. They mean more to us than we see on the surface. They're symbols of anxiety and fear 
and broken relationships. These are the three big ones that we can all probably identify with. But a question I have for you as we wrap up is what words flood you in the sense of a chaotic flood? What phrases or names or ideas hold symbolic power over you and over your sense of peace and calm? What phrases or name, names hold symbolic power over you that cause you to suffer? I want you to be reminded of Psalm 29, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. In our baptisms, we are reminded through the symbolism that he sits enthroned over all that floods us in this life. The sinfulness, still a real thing, that floods our lives. The anxiety that floods our lives. Um, you know, 2021, 2020, 2019 even, these were confusing years in a lot of ways. The confusion that floods us during these years. So tonight I want to urge all of you to do what Martin Luther would say, which is remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. Remember all that it does and all that it reminds us of and all that it symbolizes. And by the way, we've just scratched the surface. There's so much more to talk about, you know, how baptism represents us being clothed in Christ. Um, how baptism uh, is, is, a, is a recognition and a cleansing of our sinfulness. How it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. The book, the reference in Acts this week is a great reminder to us that there were Christians who had received John's baptism, were baptized in a baptism of repentance, and then they had to be told about the Holy Spirit. And then Paul prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Whenever we're baptized as Christian people, whenever we're baptized, we receive the gift of the Spirit as we go under the water. So tonight I want to encourage you to remember your baptism, even if you can't remember your baptism. Mine was 1979, um, and I barely remember it. Remember your baptism, even if you can't remember your baptism. Remember that you were baptized, even if you don't recall the event. Getting baptized, the experience of baptism, is a great thing. But being baptized is even better. I hope we understand that. Getting baptized is great, but being a baptized person is even better. And before I close in prayer, I want to mention this one thing. Um, I know for all of us at Wheatland, probably most of us have been baptized. But if you have not, please, please, please come and talk to me. I would love, love, love to talk about baptism. And, and we can take as much time as we want. Uh, there's so much more to discuss in it. But for us today, let's just remind ourselves that Christ stands enthroned, the Lord stands enthroned over the flood. And we're reminded of that when we ourselves were plunged underneath it. Let's pray. Lord of the flood, wash us with your spirit that we may be your ark of life.
your peace in a sea of violence. Water is life, water cleans, and water kills. Frightened, we are tempted to make a permanent home on the ark, but you force us to seek dry ground. We can do so only because you have taught us to cling to our baptisms, where we are drowned and reborn by the water and fire of your spirit. So reborn, make us unafraid. Amen.